How many of you have tried working so hard physically out of competition that it's not like you just step on the mat, wrestling mindset, step on the mat, step on the field or on the court and just win. But you have to work so hard and it costs you sacrifice. Anybody? Got one, two, Anyone else? Three, four, five, six, seven. It's very few, though. There's something about making a sacrifice that I think helps you to understand this. And, of course, the rest of us that don't have it, we can relate because we live in a society where sports seems to be just about everything. And it's not unlike the first century when the Apostle Paul wrote what he wrote to the church at Corinth. There was a game that preceded what was the Olympic Games called the Isthmian Games. And it was on the Isthmus, on the Isle of Corinth. And these games are very, very popular. They took place every three years. And so when he's talking about these things, of which Mark just read for us, it's not as if the people were unaware of what athletes went through. I mean, today we have all kinds of sports articles that we can read of what athletes do in their training, how many years they've been training, and, uh, and so on and so forth. But some of us might think, they must be crazy. How, I mean, seriously, how many of you think athletes are crazy that, that devote 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14 hours a day to be the best? I mean, raise your hand. There you go. One honest person here. There's more than one honest person about being crazy. It's crazy. Yesterday, um, when we were at the retreat uh, at Montgomery Bell, some of us at the table at breakfast were mentioning this woman that was dressed weird. She had some kind of, I don't know what it was called, but it's Renaissance clothing. And she had this queenly-like crown on her head. I don't know what it was, but um, they were wondering... So I decided to go and talk to her and found out that's what she does. She lives this lifestyle of, I don't remember her last name, but her name was Baroness Eleanor something something of Knoxville. Well, in this case, in Lincolnshire in London. And she would speak everything about what was going on in the 17th century, so in the 1600s, about her life and what have you and and I was talking to some like kind of weird and crazy <laughs> she devotes her entire life I thought it was pretty cool and I said if I were to come and visit with you all she said well the host which in this case whatever town was nearby to Montgomery Bell um, the host would provide you clothing and you would actually walk among us and live among us and every or visit among us and and actually get to feel what it's like and I thought, I can imagine athletes going, that's kind of weird and crazy. There's a lot of stuff about what we do and the reason why we do it. And in the case of sports, or in the case of certain things, there is a goal in mind. In this case, according to the Apostle Paul, a prize that we believe to be worth it. And whether it's the Boston Marathon, and I'm not sure how many of you have ever run a marathon, closest I've done is about 18 miles. And I'm telling you, and I was a lot younger then, but it's amazing how they train to be able to run a marathon. And I'm not saying walk a marathon 
or jog a marathon, which is what most of us would do. I'm talking running a marathon, where you have a, an amazing pace for so many miles. It's crazy. Turval, or Turval, depending on how you pronounce his name, Dlagnev, is the only NCAA two wrestler that hails from my alumni school. <laughs> and he represents, he's actually in his second Olympics. He just qualified. He took, um, took the trials last week. But last year at this time in April, the U.S. was going against Russia in round two of this particular tournament. And they were down 16 to 13. And USA not only needed to win the match, they had to win in a convincing fashion, what's called a technical. In addition to that, his opponent could not score a single point during this match. And if he did, Russia would win. He goes out and beats him 10-0. We're talking world-class athletes here. There's something about the drive to win that you are able to put your body through just untold um, extreme just because that prize is that valuable to you. In other words, victory is a huge motivator. As Mark read for us in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, uh, 24 he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? That 18-mile race that I entered, I told my friends, I said, let's all run this race. And they were like, oh, yeah, let's, let's all run. After mile one, I was the only one of our entire group. Mile one, there's 17 more miles to go. But my mind was, I wanted to beat everybody. I was 12 years old. And then after that, I wanted to do this race called Run to the Sun. Because I wanted to be the youngest person to ever make this 37.2 mile from sea level to 10,000 feet. I want to be the youngest person to ever do that. I mean, things that you do because you have this prize that you so covet that you're willing to do what everyone else is not willing to do. And the Apostle Paul is making a point here that when he compares the physical realm, the athletic realm to the spiritual, what is most important, everyone gets the point, hopefully. Because in the physical realm, everyone who competes has self-control in everything. And in the Isthmian Games, not like the Olympic Games of the first century, your self-control would include your diet, the foods that you would or would not eat. Now, mind you, if you are in any kind of competition and you eat junk food, it just doesn't help your cause. But you eat certain kinds of food that helps you for your training and helps you for the day of the event. It's a huge, huge deal. Exercise. Where morning, you know, at dark before the sun rises, in the day and at night when everyone else is ready to go to sleep and you're still training. Or that in the case of the Isthmian Games, the social affairs of life. In other words, you have to have a good social standing before you could even compete in these events on this island. Moral affairs, you could not be guilty of any immoral activity. And this is in a time where immorality was rampant, by the way. But the athletes in these games were held to such a standard, morally speaking, 
if they were to enter those games. And of course, the rules of competition. You're not going to cheat. All of these things showed self-control that we can read of in verse 25 of this text. Everyone who competes is self-controlled. Now, I want you to think about this. Discipline is doing what you know needs to be done even if you don't want to do it. So there's a lot of things that you sacrifice, that you give up because you want to compete. I'm looking at Mark right now because he's thinking about his sons right now in, in Major League Baseball. And I mean, the sacrifice that, that you have to go through from a physical standpoint, from a dietary standpoint, from a social standpoint, things that children would give up because they want that prize. And I was thinking of, there's a young lady, she just graduated from high school, nearly made the Olympic team for wrestling. Youngest ever would have been. Just lost with seconds to go in her, in her uh, semifinals match. From the time she was three or four years old, training, not because her parents made her, she just desires it all on her own. And here she is 17 years old now and trains like, None I've ever known. Uh, just phenomenal. But the self-control. Well, when you think about what the Apostle Paul is saying, the prize is what it's about. And in these games, it was this wreath right here. Right? This garland wreath. That's what they were going for. Now, to a lot of you here, it's just leaves. Right? <laughs> it's like, who would ever train for these leaves? But I tell you what. And this was in the 1904 Olympics. And I don't know if you can see it right over here. That's that garland wreath from the Olympics. Um, and a lot of the years, you'll actually see on the Olympic medals, you'll see that garland wreath. Not on all of them, but on a lot of the years, they pay homage to old school Olympics, if you will. That wreath was, it was everything because of what it represented. And so we're told... They do it because of this prize. Now think about what the Apostle Paul is really getting at. This is what Mark was bringing out very succinctly. There's a prize in which people will do things and go through great lengths because of the accomplishment that is attached to that prize. And because that prize is coveted so greatly, but very, very few ever get to handle it let alone own it, earn it. And here is something that the apostle is, is translating into the Christian life and trying to make this parallel so that we could look at what it is that we as Christians are all about. And so the question is, what does all this mean then when he uses this illustration? Because the apostle Paul uses a lot of sports illustrations in his letters. There's, this is not the only one. When we see what he's talking about, the object in 1 Corinthians 9, as Mark brought out, is a desire to save souls. We're told by Jesus, it doesn't matter if we gain all of this world's treasure, right? If you gain all of the gold, all of the silver, all of whatever is great and valuable in life, it is all in vanity if you lose your soul. That's how important someone's soul is. 
And the Apostle Paul, in, in the beginning of, of chapter 9, is talking about, listen, I would be to the Jew as a Jew. I would be to the Greek as a Greek. I would be to the one under law and one under freedom. I would be so that I could save some. I've actually had this sermon so, so many months ago about that very point. But why he does that is because those souls are so precious. What kind of conviction do we have? What kind of motivation do we have to actually live the way the Apostle Paul was talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ? As he's actually talking about himself, but actually sending a subliminal message to them, this is how we all need to be. I mean, this is not just the way he only need to be. All those who share the gospel need to live this way. That's why he says, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Well, what is it that that discipline looks like? What is it that, that when we look at the life of a Christian, it translates into? And when we see these things... We then ask ourselves these questions. That's what's supposed to happen as we're reading 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Because many challenged his apostleship. Many challenged him being a Christian. They wanted him dead. He was shipwrecked for those in Bible trivia over the weekend. How many times? <laughs> Three, right? And, I mean, he's, he's left for dead. He stoned. I mean, stones thrown at him. This is a person who is willing to do all of this because he was convicted about saving souls. To be convicted about saving souls, he had to believe that the gospel that he was preaching was true. Brethren, so let me ask you. Is heaven the prize that you're after? Our lives reflect the conviction that we have or lack of conviction. Part of the reason why I have this as a sermon this morning, uh, twofold, I'll share one of the reasons, is because there was a letter I found here in the building, in the library, a note about if we say we are Christians, then why is it that I don't see some among us, and I'm paraphrasing, or maybe enough of us, sharing the gospel? I mean, if I can further paraphrase and go off the script of, of that note, you can read it, it's in the bulletin. Is the prize something that we long for, or is this a country club? We come over here for a Sunday morning service, we do all the good, right things, and, and life is good, and we go back and live our lives. Or is this so important to us that it translates into a walk where we share good news with others because their souls are more precious and more valuable than all the, the riches of this life? That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, I forget those things that are behind. It's all in the past. I press on for what is before me. I press for the goal of the prize, he says. And I'm asking you, how much do we seek the prize? 
You see, when, when I remember um, wrestling in college, in the very first practice, we'd have 70 guys coming out to try and make the, the team. 70. And after the first day is over, we're down to over 30. More than half would quit on the first day. By the time the week is over, pretty much everyone who does not want to work as hard as it needed to, they needed to work would already be off. The, the coach did not have to kick anyone off the team. It's just a matter of those who are willing to put in the time, the work that would remain on the team. How much do we put into our walk with the Lord? And it's not just sharing the gospel. As Mark rightly said, it's self-control in every aspect of our lives. Do we give everyone a reason to show that Christianity is true? Or is it just a part of your life? Does it dominate you so that every breath you take, it's like that athlete who can only think of that prize? And every decision made by that athlete that says, I don't want any excuse because I want this victory. And they don't give up to, until they have met their goal. That's the mindset. Um, about three years ago, we met an Olympic athlete in here. He was worshiping with us. He came about two or three times. Mike Mitchell. And he wrestles up in Maryland for the Maryland team and trying to make. He is 38 now. He's about 39 years old now. God was still, as of last year, trying to make the Olympic team for the fifth time. And all of us would say, there's no way you're going to make it. Jordan Burroughs is in your weight class. None of you know who Jordan anyway, but anyway. But you had the most difficult weight class of everyone, and you're still trying to make the Olympic team. Doesn't want to give up. And the point being is, when you are a child of God, you give everything you have to the cause of Christ. Your walk is worthy of the calling. You look like a quote-unquote, and I, I mean no disrespect to the phrase, please take it the way I mean it. You look like a major Christian athlete, minus the athlete part, but really a Christian who is devoted to Christ. That everything about you is like a professional athlete. You devote your life to Christ. That's the point the apostle is making here. And that is why when he is saying, you know, I preach thus as a person who runs or as a person who fights so that I myself would not or should not in the translation we just read be disqualified. Everything he does is so that the soul on the end of the message that he's trying to preach has the opportunity to respond to the gospel and that I would not be a hindrance in any way to that person responding. If we live immoral lives, brethren, and not to pick on Mark, but because Mark said, you know, th this past month, he's guilty of hypocrisy. I thank God for you owning it, brother. But he doesn't want to be a stumbling block to someone he's trying to try and reach the gospel with. And the same should be true for all of us. We need to discipline our lives so that we are fit and prepared so that we are blameless, so that we are ready to share the gospel. We can take down every stronghold of argumentation that is against Christ, not for the sake of winning that argument, but for winning them to Christ. That's the kind of conviction we ought to have, brethren.
Now, I've said it many times to you, and I'll probably say it till I, till I die. I am nowhere near as competitive as I used to be. I, at least I keep looking at my wife for verification. <laughs> but if Christianity were a competition, my heart is I will beat you all. That should be your heart. No one would beat you. That you'd be so devoted to the Lord. Now I say that knowing my own failures, my weaknesses, the times when I slack, when I don't diet right or I don't push myself to the, to the brink or past it where I'm throwing up, if you will, uh, from a physical standpoint in sports. And the same in Christianity. I, I know I've not given my all at all times. I know that. I take that up between me and, and God, and I own it. Brethren, that's called repentance. And every one of us, when that happens, should repent because we ought to live with great conviction. We ought to live in such a manner that people want to come to the Lord knowing the stakes are life and death. And when I say life and death, I'm talking about you may be hated to the point of death because of your conviction, let alone their choice of life and death. So are we keeping the faith? Because that's what Paul told Timothy, right? He said early in the passage of 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Timothy chapter, um, uh, chapter 4, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And he says to Timothy, I have already fought the fight. And there is a crown laid up for me in heaven. In other words... I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. That's what a champion does. Brethren, I want that to be said of every one of us in this room. I want it to be said of every person we can ever share the gospel with. If it's not, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Read the entire chapter and the summation given through this athletic illustration by the Apostle Paul. It wasn't just because he wanted to look cool for all the guys that knew sports. He was trying to make an application that everyone could relate to. And hopefully you can relate to, to this. Giving your life to Christ. If you're here this morning, I want you to stop and think about this. When, when the sermons are given every Sunday, it is not so that we fill up an, an hour called worship service or sermon... It's not so that we have something that that's what society does in this country. It is because your soul needs the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's the reason for sharing the gospel. And this invitation is something we do by way of tradition because it is a great opportunity for us to call upon you to say, Lord, I need you. And I come to you. The song chosen... In this morning's case, prepare to meet thy God, is because at some point we all are going to meet him, either as one who belongs to him or one who has rejected him, either as an atheist or as someone says, I, I, I know who you are, but I'm not going to follow you. I think Christianity is hogwash. At some point, my conviction and the reason why I'm standing before you this morning is because we are going to meet him one day. By faith, I believe that. And so this invitation is for you. Brethren, 
if you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, by all means, this is a great invitation, an opportunity for us to pray with you. I mean, we get to pray for Trish because now you know of her situation. Well, whether it's physical illness like that or whether it's quote-unquote spiritual illness because you are weak in the faith, we'll pray for you. I mean, that's a whole part of fellowship that we share in each other's lives. It's the whole reason why I actually had that article written. And if you read that article, it pains me because that last paragraph is the most painful words I think I've ever written by a brother or sister in Christ for me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read the article, read the last paragraph. And then I want you to look around at your brethren and see how we can encourage each other so that we can be of the faith for one another and for those that we profess to believe in Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you need this invitation, it's for you. Take advantage of it. We're going to meet the Lord sometime, and it may be too soon for you. Take advantage right now. It's together we stand and sing.